0: You're listening to
1: Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players, and all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass.
2: Brennan, it's been a big week in flesh and blood for previews, early previews. We've just seen New Prism, Prism, Evan of Thrones, and also Vincent. Your first, I guess, thoughts on the flood of cards we've seen this week? Are you going to be back to your Shadow Room Blade roots, or are you going to be, you know, continuing as a wizard main? Nah,
0: <laughs> the honestly, Vincent looks like ass. I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, but I, I I definitely empathize with the actual design, like the, the the design team that went behind it, where it's like, I think this is a good middle ground. Um, just if you're looking for Chain 2.0, this is not that. Like Chain, a big part of Chain was the Go Again. Um, it's not necessarily the blood debt and this isn't even doing nearly as crazy stuff when it comes to blood debt uh do i think it will be a cool hero a unique way to engage with shadow Rune blade cards yeah for sure but this is not this is not going to give you that chain feeling i don't think unless we see some crazy supporting cards even then i would be surprised because what made chain so powerful and consistent and feel like chain was it was on the hero ability you didn't have to draw the card it was just there so yeah I, i don't think Vincent's pulling me back over to shadow Rune blade um prism on the other hand i mean at least it looks cool i think that i'm just not sure about where the actualization of this card comes and like what 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 it will mean for the future but i'm definitely much more excited about prism than i am about uh about vincent one thing i will say is that anytime i see a life total less than the standard 20 or 40 Mm -hmm. on a hero it gets oh man it gets me excited your thoughts Abe.
2: yeah i'm Yeah, I mean, Prism, Advent of Thrones, 16, Adult will be 32. Um, It's interesting because Prism obviously has a, because we have a young Prism, this is not, this has a a different naming convention, right? So Mm. we also see the Adult Prism with a, you know, a different naming convention, which is quite interesting. First time I've kind of seen that, I had that conundrum, um, which is quite cool. So, and then uh, Vincent, of course, as well, we'll we'll see an adult version. I mean, yeah, 16 Health on Prism, Advent of Thrones, which is kind of intro this show with a little bit of chat about. About Dust of Dawn, because we did see not only these two heroes but a couple of more specs come out of the week, uh, which is is really interesting. I think from prism side of things, I mean the the idea of this like card with a herald name. Uh, it's put into your soul, then you message your deck for a figment, and then also you can once per turn pay the two to banish a card from your soul and awaken a figment. The assumption, I guess, at the, this moment in time, is the figments are the setup reverse side of what the allies will be. These will be the new way to, you know, you you get a figment into play, and then you activate that figment, which becomes your ally. So that I think that's quite a cool gameplay pattern. You know, it's very different to what we've seen with the with prism original prism and different even again to dromai it's kind of actually feels like somewhere in between that a little bit you know you get these kind of on board permanence that kind of reminiscent a little bit of auras but then also in a way you know it's it's allies they're like the dragons so um i you know and you can potentially it's once per turn instant of course you can only activate one per turn but you can potentially get multiple on the board to start to set up um we don't know what the figments look like yet can mm-hmm. you attack them can you destroy them before they get awakened we don't know but what we do know is that it looks cool. At yeah. least I know it. I think it looks cool. I mean, six, um, sixteen yeah. is
0: really low as well. Like it sixteen is because really, that. I mean, that puts you at thirty two, which um, if you guess you want to, you know, don't know the Kano mat, that means dead from turn zero. But uh, I mean, that that is almost Kano level li- like hell. So it it points to there being something really fun you can do with this hero. To be honest, so that's genuinely yeah. what gets me excited. Um, just want to quickly touch weak on flesh and blood. It's pretty obvious. Hayden mm-hmm. went to the calling Singapore top aided. Did very well, Hayden. I just want to get a super high level view, uh, just like view, not view, but I want to, I want to hear your experience. From, like, how was it? Did you have a great time? You know, Singapore visiting once again. Like, what did it feel like going back? Going back to Singapore, um, it was like, is this the actualization of what Fab is supposed to be? Right, you're playing the game, you're seeing the world. Just, just dive into your weekend in just a little bit here.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is just i guess briefly quickly episode 114 we're calling it how to win a calling we've got nick butcher who is the calling champion of singapore joining us for the main topic of the pod um but also i was i was there in singapore and i thought you know i could just give a bit of a, a bit of a recap of the event like you said brendan i had an awesome time i mean singapore this is my second time to singapore for flesh and blood i went to the calling last year on the way to pro tour Lille. i had yeah like i say just an awesome time it's such a cool city if you've been to singapore before all of the kind of I uh, think these major Asian cities, especially in um, Southeast Asia, they just have such cool atmospheres. They are very unique. They have a lot of history to them, especially Singapore. Um, so you know, food amazing, uh, kind of views and and sites amazing. Um, the weather, uh, so so, it's right on the equator, right? So it's <laughs> it's really hot. It's very humid. Pretty lucky it's coming into wet season, I guess. We didn't get hit with much rain only on the last day and um, it wasn't actually too crazy humid, which was nice. Last time we were there, it was actually a lot hotter. So um, this time, which is about 11 months difference, was a, was a little bit easier to to bear with. Uh, a lot of, I mean, just to set the scene for calling Singapore, it was 288 players I think they had a cap of 300. So I thought it might have been a little bit bigger, um, to be honest. But I think Singapore is a little bit less accessible from a financial standpoint, it's quite an expensive city comparative to some of the other cities in Asia. So I think that kind of limits it a little bit. Um, but there was a lot of travelers there, a lot of locals, of course, a lot of players from, you know, likes of Taiwan, Hong Kong, uh, Malaysia. There was an Indonesian crew, which was really cool to see. It's The game has really grown in Indonesia over the past year. Um, I played against an Indonesian player in, in one round. The I guess the event itself, Friday, there was like this big challenge, the Monarch event, which James White played in. It was a Monarch Sealed and um, I actually got to, <laughs> Brendan, you appreciate this. I got to speak to James on Sunday after top eight. And James said to me, he was like, "Ah, oh, you know, I'm really excited for some of these limited sets coming up. I'm really excited for people to be drafting Monarch again i tell you what i wasn't excited to be playing monarch sealed again <laughs> james said he thinks it's his least favorite uh sealed format in all flesh and blood so that was quite funny but it was a, it was a cool, cool event arcane and rising then,
0: more that i mean that begs the question i mean that that is that is quite a uh quite a <laughs> statement we got i mean, you, you can't just say that and we pass right over i mean there is a real shit sealed format lurking in the in the second set of flesh and blood i think uh yeah I, don't know.
2: I didn't call him out on that one, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was cool as well. i got to have a great chat with James. He, you know, I mean, nothing, he didn't drop any hints or anything to me. I mean, the main thing we kind of talked about was just kind of the the sets coming up. And one thing that he did sort of say that I really took away is that he, see, he sees flesh and blood as this kind of ebb and flow of... Of mechanics and power, so um, maybe power is not quite the word, right word, but just kind of, um, I guess, the, what these sets stand for, you know. Mm. So he really was saying he thinks Outsiders and Dynasty was really back to nuts and bolts, flesh and blood. Uh, you know, Uprising was this really uh, different, really um, unique set, right, with a lot of design principles we hadn't seen in, in games before, let alone Flesh and Blood, with you know the the invocations uh, and you know the, the tokens as playable equipment in the packs, things like that. Uh, he said, "You know, the next set, dust dawn, and then the next limited set, I think people are really in for more of that. He said, with the set coming at the end of the year, we're gonna see something that people have never seen in TCGs before. So mm. that's um, it's really interesting. serialized lottery animated cards. No, kidding. Um, he actually said that it comes to life in your hand.
0: Yeah, he actually said that at the pro tour. By the way, he did a he did a little presentation. He talked about the ebb and flow of power in sets, and how some sets were very exciting and had a huge impact, and some sets did not. And I remember someone immediately came up to me after that and was like, "So does that mean Dustin's going to be a bad?" Because <laughs> like he's like he was like, <laughs> "Yeah, it's going to be this ebb and flow." And he, and he drew there was like this little line. He was like, "Okay, well, what does that mean for the future?" Because usually, you know, they always try to be up, up, up. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, James. James just a great ambassador for his own game. He's extremely, yeah. um, extremely passionate, and most people will have that takeaway if, you, if you're able to talk to him at a major event, which which I highly recommend
2: um, as well. Yeah. So Hayden, he was out there taking photos and, and yeah. chatting with people, and um, yeah, made sure to to speak with players who maybe didn't get that opportunity, who were still playing the event, things like that. He tried to seek them out as well. He did a draft on Sunday where he went around and found a few players that. I think it was a mix of players he wanted to to have a draft with. <laughs> um, he actually did. He was like, do you want to draft? And I was like, I, I'm I actually, I ended up commentating the final. So I was on coverage for the final. Mm-hmm. I said, James, I'd love to, but um, I got to do coverage for the final, but um, I ended up having to wait two hours for the semifinal to finish. So maybe I could have got that draft. in. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I heard that uh, you were telling me he talked to you right after your loss as well. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, James. James came in with the highest of energy, and uh, I was maybe a little bit lower on the energy front after losing my my quarterfinal match. But no, it was still a great conversation. Ha- I mean,
0: it happened to me in Dallas. Uh, there, as soon as I lost my match, like, hey, can we interview you for your top eight? I was like, what? <laughs> Just how do you feel? I was like, terrible.
2: Yeah, awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got to. I mean, for, for those that don't know, yeah, if you didn't catch any of the coverage of the calling Singapore of the weekend, um, I myself made top eight playing Altam my friend and eventual winner nick butcher on ultim as well and also uh his friend and former testing partner matt was also on the same basic list basically the same list of, of ultim the three of us were you know ran well enough to make top eight on this kind of 80 card list we'll, we'll talk about it with nick in the main topic of the pod but um my my event overall i felt brendan you asked me last week you know how on a scale of 1 to 10 how do i feel about the event mm-hmm. i think you know preparation wise i think i said a seven and then i messaged you afterwards and said Oh, I tweeted on t- Twitter. I think I said I want to I'm an eight. I'm actually an eight. And by the time we got to Friday, I felt like a nine, nine point five. I felt really prepared for the event. I felt really good. And I honestly like playing my matches on Saturday, Sunday, I started day one. I went six one. Uh, my only loss on day one was actually on my feature match typical got the Brendan curse uh, got my feature match in <laughs> Excuse round five me?
0: Uh, no uh, <laughs> uh, last time I was on feature I won I, I
2: believe I, I've won a match did you?
0: yeah I've won I, uh, okay. so I actually broke the curse a while ago it's just um, you did. I know you pesky did. narratives you know
2: well, I, I think I'm running sub 500. I think on my feature matches, to be honest, I I got three at Worlds. I think I did win two of those actually, but infamously, my last match on camera in a, a high level event before this one was um, Reiner dumpstering me match, in the last too. round of World Championships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love that match. I'm sure you do. My favorite match. Uh, so I lost. Yeah, I lost to Icelander in round five. Another one of the top eight competitors. There were five Australians in the top eight of this calling, Brendan. I think about fifteen or sixteen travelled of the near three hundred players in the event, and uh, five made it to top eight. So, you know, all these people saying yeah. Apex did region, they might be right about New Zealand. To be fair, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> not been, Australia
2: though. Okay, yeah, because you know, New Zealand, small
0: island nation, really hasn't hasn't been able to compete. Um, no, I mean, it's definitely a great showing for uh, for you guys down there. Um, I know some Americans flew over, maybe. I'm gonna have to take a mulligan on this one, but you know, scoreboard, scoreboard, baby. PT
2: Bro- Brody was top 16. Brody had a great event as well. I think uh, Brody also finished. So I finished. Yeah, day one, X one, six and one. I think Brody finished the same. I think he was uh, one place above me or something. Um, I think took a, a loss to the locals. Really put on a good performance as well. So the or people from the SEA. So the Hong Kong team and the Taiwanese team separately came with like quite uh, interesting. Lexi so the Hong Kong team played three remembrance they're on this like shuffle back battering bolts mm-hmm. and three of a kinds to fatigue the ultims which is super interesting uh I know Matt paired into Alan Lau who is a just notorious top 16er at this point of PT's world champs uh again top 16 at this calling this weekend missed out on top eight after starting the da- day one at seven zero. um Alan will break that curse at some point I know I'll make a top eight he's an amazing player and then uh, uh Pai Tung uh also um, playing this Taiwanese list, world's top four competitor, uh, making the finals of the calling as well. So yeah, overall, event was awesome. Day two, uh, I had to play against Matt Rogers in round one. It's something about Jim. Honestly, pairs against the same people. I've played. I've traveled to so many callings, and I've played Matt and every single one of them basically on day two, and almost always in round eight as well, or round eight or nine. We've 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 he's knocked me out of a lot of callings. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, on this one, you know, we played last time in Auckland. We played in Orlando. Uh, yeah, we've we've just played a lot of times. Luckily, this time I took the loss, went to X two, but then won out uh, and and made top eight, finishing in, in second seed, and then uh, pairing into unfortunately nick in the quarterfinals where we played on day one in an Altamira. mirror i won that one he goes revenge in the top eight and then of course you know rest is history we went on not to, to grab the trophy that's the time to do it um
0: well Hayden, we had some premier play announcements uh very exciting stuff i know people are really eager to hear what the world championships is um <laughs> do you want to relay some of that news
2: you should have you should you should have heard the reception at the calling so they Did dropped they this article again?
0: oh my god no, 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 oh, no, okay. no, no. He didn't so they, didn't, publicly, they didn't do it publicly, yeah, because he did that, they didn't he did that say in PT, anything. by the way, where they did, they literally had a slideshow. It was like, and the World Championships is to so be
2: decided. To be confirmed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, so uh, they dropped this article, must have been about the last round of the Monarch Sealed event. So everyone was in the hall, I think. I have a feeling James might have ducked out by this point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was still there playing the last round of sealed, but they they dropped this article and people were like, oh, there's, you know, people were like premiere Play Announcement, you know, people had their phones out and stuff. And then I'm like, oh, where's Worlds? Well, the Premier Play Announcement doesn't mention Worlds, but there's two more callings confirmed for the end of the year and a slew of battle hardens. So, uh, it was pretty funny just hearing people's response. Obviously, people were excited because we were in Singapore and neighboring country, Taiwan. There's a calling Taipei coming up, so people were excited about that. But it didn't mask the kind of disappointment of not knowing when and where Worlds is, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, the, just on this Premier Play announcement quickly because it's super exciting. Brennan, you have a calling coming up in your home city. Dallas, Texas is going to be hosting a calling in October. Uh, the week before that is going to be the calling in Taipei in Taiwan. So yeah, two two callings, both class constructed, uh, I believe. Yeah, both class constructed happening in October post-national season, but before the enigma that is, that is Worlds. Uh, so yeah, very exciting
0: yep for sure i I think that dallas is a great location (laughs) i actually do think uh, it's 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 an absolute one of
2: the largest cities in the world it it it
0: is statistically it is bro um but it's also a major international hub so it's very easy to travel to it's relatively cheap and i don't know it's a good place if you want to if you want to hang out and do stuff there's literally two cities right next to each other dallas and fort worth so hopefully we bring it back um yeah on top of that we're nearly at 6,000 subscribers. We're not quite there yet. So please, if you're listening to this, help us out. Hit us with that that subscribe and go ahead and you know hit a like on the video too if, you, if you'd be so kind. But it's a, it'd be a huge achievement for us. So help us get there. Hayden, um, what's what's next here?
2: Yeah, I mean, just in terms of events and things like that, obviously this premiere play announcement starts to paint a bit of a picture for the second half of the year. There's a lot happening in Flesh and Blood. Um, you know, I know we've had a lot of Previously, I think last year, you know, there was complaints about the kind of run rate or the rate of events. You know, there was a lot of like uh, a lot of events at one time, and then there was some downtime. and I think some people felt burnt out. Some people felt like there wasn't enough events in the right places, at the right time. I will say with the announcement of all these battle hardens, there were seven battle hardens announcement announced with this uh, announcement over the weekend: as Florence, Tokyo, Toulouse, Milwaukee, Warsaw, Kuala Lumpur, and Saint Louis. I think is that how you say it? is it Saint Louis? Is
0: it is this in America? yeah st louis st louis
2: oh man yeah like the french say st
0: louis (laughs) (laughs) okay definitely the
2: french would not say it like that (laughs) anyway um so those are happening Uh, yeah what i was saying (laughs) before i got annoyed about that is uh i i think battle hardens and strategic placements of callings are giving people a lot more access to events which is super cool i mean we've got events happening in you know brazil japan uh France and Toulouse, you know, Florence and Italy. Like that. that is very exciting, plus these callings happening as well. We've got some, I believe, a couple, you know, there's at least one more calling to be announced. There's a calling ode to Australia sometime at the end of this year as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of what's happening next, Battleheart in Baltimore is on this coming weekend. That's the Teams event that we talked about. There is also LA the weekend after, which is Class Constructed. That'll be the last hurrah before we get to Dust of Dawn. And then, of course, we, we launch into War of the Monarch with these pre-pre-release events, basically, where they, you can you know win some of these promos. And then we hit to Dust it on pre-release. And then we've got Skirmish Season 7 before we get into national season. So it's going to, you know, events are coming fast, but I think there's uh, enough in the right sort of events that people can decide what they do and do not want to play.
0: Yeah, and I spoke to both Chris Pierce and James White at the Pro Tour in Baltimore, and I said, can you please give us a freaking reason to go back to New Zealand? And they said they are going to do that very soon. So I don't know what that is, but hopefully that's uh, that's on the menu here for late 2023, at least early 2024. Because mm-hmm. that, for the people listening, and I know a lot of you listening are going to fall into this category. If you haven't been to New, Ze- New Zealand, it is a spectacular and beautiful country to
2: visit. Mm, just make sure you get to the south island if you're gonna be yeah, there. No. if you're gonna go to new zealand take the time to go to the south island it's infinitely better than north island
0: yes that that is what the local people will tell you and i unfortunately did not make it to the south island last time and i, I definitely will there's also a restaurant if you're a, if you're a, <laughs> <laughs> if you're a listener of Pass, you've heard about this goddamn restaurant it's called pasture check it out it's in auckland it's amazing Everyone on the
2: show this week has been to pass
0: I know we got an affiliate code. It's uh, Arsenal Pass P. <laughs> we should have one. We
2: should have one. Honestly, could you imagine
0: a restaurant like that?
2: <laughs> yeah, I want. I want my ten percent from them. I'll tell you what. Uh, the prices they charge. No, in this economy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Well, speaking of pasture, into
0: the command of cookout, which we have none, but if you want to get your question read out on the podcast, go ahead and shoot us a comment on YouTube, or you can email us at arsenalpassfab.com, or find us at an event, maybe an event. (laughs)
2: Arsenalpassgmail.com. (laughs) Arsenalpass. At gmail.com. At gmail.com. Yeah.
0: Or maybe you can find us at the World Championships, wherever the hell that is, and give us a little note, and we'll read it out. Uh, But there is no command of cookout because we have calling champion Nick Butcher joining us to talk about. What it takes to win a calling. All right. And on to the main topic. And we're joined by Mr. Nick Butcher, 2022 Australian national champion, now four-time calling top eight competitor, Sydney 2019 and 2022, uh, Auckland 2020, Singapore 2023 and winner multiple PT competitor. I was just complaining to Hayden about this, that, you know, I had to read out so many accolades for Mr. Nick Butcher here because he's been doing so well recently First off, Nick, I just want to say congratulations on your success in Singapore here recently. And thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. How are you doing? How is how are you feeling about flesh and blood right now off the back of your win in the future of this game and sort of your career in Are you feeling you feel good? Are you feeling jazzed after that dub? Uh
1: yeah. I mean, thanks for having me. Arsenal Pass, the great podcast. Number one. Check them out on Spotify. Um, yeah, I, I just feel good. Like it's just fun. I just enjoy playing. Like that's the most important part, right? You get to travel overseas. The the game is like the secondary, and you get to travel with your friends, hang out with them, go to all different kinds of places. I think everyone should, you know, go give it a shot, even if they think they're not gonna win. When even though I, I did think I was gonna win, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to keep playing. The next set's coming out. There's new spoilers. Everything's uh, looking good. Yeah. every god every every call is getting a specialization it seems
0: yeah it's cool to talk to the players that are that are actualizing this sort of mantra behind flesh and blood of play the game see the world it genuinely can be something it's something that you can mm-hmm. achieve and something you can do and one of my favorite things about flesh and blood right now <clears throat> nick i want to ask you because i guess at this point you are known as an olden player i don't know if you feel like you're an olden player but You've definitely seen some success on the deck recently. And now you've won mm-hmm. uh, the most recent calling with it in Singapore. So can you just give us a little bit of a background on why you chose to bring old him to this tournament?
1: Uh I don't feel I'm an old player. I just play what I think is the best. Like I thought Dash would be the best in Pro Tour 2, so I took it and unfortunately it won the weekend before and was too late to pivot to something else. So people got prepared for it, unfortunately. But I I just thought this weekend it's it's I think it's the best deck. Like it's so strong. It it has, it maneuvers itself so well against every deck. And there's a power in saying, if one person says, if someone says to you, oh, what's your win condition against, th- against this particular deck? If your response to most of the field is, I don't need to win. My opponent needs to win. There's a power in that where I, you have to have a win con against me, but I don't need to have a win con against you because I you'll always fatigue against me. It's just too, I think it's really, really strong. Mm-hmm. And now I'm glad it's gone.
0: Why do you think, um, so, Oldham obviously won the Pro Tour, which is a pretty big achievement. But why do you think we didn't see more success out of Ultimate at the Pro Tour? It seemed like it was a deck that started to fly a little bit under the radar. And even post-Pro Tour, maybe not in your neck of the woods, maybe not in APAC and in Europe, but at least in the United States, it felt like it still didn't get enough respect after the Pro Tour. People were still talking about Lexi. People were still talking about Jermai coming back. Why is Oldham this deck that seemingly is the categorical best deck in most people's mind, but just gets disrespected, it almost feels like?
1: It's hard to say, to be honest. Like everyone at Pro Tour blew off, everyone after Pro Tour blew off the deck I posted on Twitter until Pablo won with it, and then all of a sudden, wow, this deck's so good, right? It, I think it has to win an event to to get the the shining light, and then people adapt to it. People adapt as well. Like you see, all the Lexi's now running all these remembrances for the fatigue deck and battering bolt all these things like and they've got their strategies for like get their late game combo where they'll remembrance or quiver and then art of war draw whatever they want and then that's how they'll get you so i think it's all it's all about adapting and people adapt to oldham instead of switching to oldham because they just like what they like and oldham's a really hard deck to pick up and play Mm
2: -hmm. i i I think there's i think there's a couple of other nuances as well right brinney because the pt is split format And, you know, someone like Nick, Nick, you went X1 in CC. I know uh, some others that played Ultim, even that that you had sort of the the Canadians that you're working with, they went with quite solid records as well. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I do think there's a part of it is that. The other thing that I've kind of noticed as well, and something that I know we talked about, Nick, kind of before the weekend is that people get stuck in sort of uh, philosophies about what Ultim should or shouldn't be. You know, you talked about, the kind of adaptation of the Lexis that we saw over the weekend. Brendan, if you know about this, but the Hong Kong guys came with this really good pa- plan into what is the fatigue matchup as a Lexi, uh, basically where they were, they were fatiguing Ultims. Um, and I think people just on the flip side of that maybe didn't have plans to, to counteract that. People are thinking, oh, my Ultim deck does X. You know, it can only fatigue. Whereas, you know, we saw Nick in the final just slap his opponent with multiple on-hit effects uh, to, mm-hmm. to stop that from happening. So, you know, I think there's a lot of different reasons why people have kind of... Felt that way,
0: yeah. So you you both played a pretty similar list. Can Hayden? Can you break down for me at a high level what it is your old him list is trying to do, and sort of the core strategy behind the deck? We talk about, you know, we talk about old him there being a bit of a dichotomy between both the theory behind the deck and the way the ways it's been built. You know, maybe some people are building for fatigue, some people are building for tempo or aggro. Or there's other decks that just do both the best, which I, I guess is kind of what your deck is doing. Just talk to me about your list specifically and what it was doing that's better than what other people are doing. You know, maybe other people showed up with Oldham to the tournament, which I know, you know, recent Pro Tour champion uh, Michael Fang was was also on Oldham.
2: And and top eight competitor Brody Spurlock as well there on on Ultima as well. They both both came with their vision of Ultim. I I think Nick can do this better. I think the one thing I'll say before I hand over to Nick, because I I think Nick has the philosophy behind this this deck kind of nailed and and can articulate it a little bit better, is that I think the list in particular that we played had the ability to do what Nick said before, which is you know our, our opponents need ways to beat us, but then also had this ability to pivot into a deck that had a lot of answers to the proactive decks in the format I want to shout out Red Disable as maybe one of the best cards in, in the weekend in the deck. I know Nick and Matt ended up playing three Red Disable. I only played two. I, I wish I played three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, like things like that, this ability to disrupt your opponent and, and also not only you're kind of asking questions in two different ways is the kind of the way I saw it. You're asking the question of how how do you beat me? And in the second is you ask questions with on-hit effects. But I'll throw it to Nick. I think maybe Nick can articulate it a little
1: bit better, kind of his thoughts. Uh I forgot what the question was. Yeah, so it's sorry, okay, it's sorry, okay. Sorry, <laughs> Dave.
0: I was about to sorry, Dave. I was about to read I was about to redo it. Anyway, um the question is just sort of the high level strategy of of your Oldham deck. What like what is it trying to do and also highlight how it differentiates from other Oldham decks that were maybe brought on the weekend.
1: Uh yeah, so the, it's mainly just trying to play all of its cards as, as as often as possible. So they have cards like Sigil of Solace and everything that can always be played. Uh, that's become a standard at this point, but we only wanted to add more on-hits to the deck because Lexi obviously is going to adapt, and that's why the old Oldham decks didn't succeed, I don't think, because they didn't adapt to the Lexi adaptations. So I wanted more on-hits in the deck, so that's why we had three Disable, three CnC, three Spinal, and choke Slam. That's just a lot of on-hits for the deck. And another thing that we had made our deck a lot better is we don't play any Tens at all or any Pulverize, and the reason for that is... 10 damage is just 10 damage. Like you play against an aggro deck, they just have more out- better output than you. And in the mirror, I actually found that when I was playing Spinal Crush, because I always have one floating in Vanbrace, they're, they're not able to use Tunic plus uh, Crown of Seed to draw a card and gain, pretty much gain a life for free. So it just basically became the exact same thing as just playing another nine and and, and having a good on hit. And it also disrupts their Rousey Ancients play when they set an arsenal, which is also really strong. And the main reason is because you're not, because we found we weren't using tunic that often. We just want more pummel targets. So if you can just remove a tunic counter and just pummel it at a disable or pummel spinal pummel scenes, is the best play in the game right now, maybe besides three of a kind of rain races, you know, the, the feature. So <laughs> it's, 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 this is a no brainer. I think once you come to figure out that van brace just becomes like the center point in the mirror match, and that makes all your other matchups better. And then that's what pretty much made all three of us that played the deck team make it to top mm-hmm. eight
0: yeah so between yourself hayden and matt rogers you guys played almost an identical list did you all mm-hmm. test together in preparation for this
1: tournament uh i tested a lot with hayden and matt and I, I pretty much i bounced ideas between the two of them i don't think matt and hayden played but like you know and pretty much it just works out that way where like i can get ideas from both of them and then like source data because people play differently. People have different ideologies. And if I bounce both ideas off both of them, I can like create, you know, a center point of ideas and then just like, change things slightly, you know, get all different kinds of philosophies out. So yeah. it so actually worked out really good that way.
0: Three for three in a top eight, it just leads me to the question of like, do you think that this group of players' competitive edge lies mostly in sort of the gameplay and the philosophy behind the hero or actually just in the list specifically? Like, where are you all getting your edge to where you're able to show up to a major tournament like this in Singapore and go three for three to top eight and actually win the tournament?
1: take it because he's a newer (laughs) olden player he's a newer olden player so he's he'd probably be able to speak of it a lot better than me
2: yeah i i i think i have a a pretty firm thought on this i think it's i think it's both to be honest honestly i think nick talked about the merits of the list we had and and making sure i mean that nick is the is the brain behind this list in a big way you know in terms of a lot of disable for instance like the the ability to pivot, you know to have this answer to Lexi's answer, for instance, I felt so prepared for every match I walked into this this past weekend. Um, I felt like we had great plans, but also I think the 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 point I think that illustrates it the best is like playing the mirror in Swiss. So I actually played Nick and Matt in Swiss, played two mirrors, and then also played Nick again in Top Eight, and I played two other older mirrors against players from uh, local players and I think another player from overseas. And the polar kind of comparison between the mirrors because of the list and the ideology was just, it was so contrasting to me. I'd only really played the mirror against Nick in testing. I just got reps against Nick in the mirror, and we're both playing, you know, these op- what we felt were optimized lists. And then playing against, against sort of some of the lists that were more traditional, maybe some of the styles that we'd seen at the Pro Tour, uh, the matchup just felt so different. You know, Nick talked about a, a key thing about you know, Rouse the Ancients turns, you things like Disable and Pummels and Pummel CNC, hold your opponent down from, um, or even Spinal Crush, uh, Chokeslam, hold your opponent down from here to play Rouse the Ancients. One of the hardest things I was thinking in the mirror is like, oh, I gotta get my Rouse the ancient turns off, they're so hard to get off. But that was more a symptom of our deck. When I played against the other Ultims, it was super easy to get my Rouse the ancient turns off and got so far ahead because of it. So I think that's, that's partly deck building, but then also partly philosophy of, of how to play the game. Because I think we had, quite good plans you know we all sat down the day before the event we discussed our plans into the matchups we all had some some different ideas I think you know Nick and Matt being the more experienced had some really good ideas into into matchups that maybe I hadn't played for example so uh, yeah a bit of both I think
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so I know Old Him is heading into Living uh, to a Living le- Legend here pretty soon, right? Won't be playable. I want to get I want to get some sort of timeless information out of this. Let's talk a bit more about your preparation. How does how does a group of player players prepare for a tournament like a calling um in Singapore and perform so well? Just bring me into your process and try to try to highlight on some things that we can extrapolate to future tournaments, you know, agnostic of hero.
1: I'll start. Just it's because it's way better to test with multiple different groups. Don't, don't say to yourself, I have my two friends and we're going to keep all of our secrets and we're not going to tell anyone. And our deck is so good. And then you're just like, then you get really short-sighted and then you don't get the ideas of other people. Like it, it's, it's a group effort and you can test with multiple groups. And I don't think it's going to lower your percentage chance. I to be honest, I think you're going to get ideas from them because you don't know whether your deck is even that great. You play against another testing teams group, like say you play against Blue Pitch in a test game, and then your Oldham deck or whatever deck that you play gets mopped by whatever they're playing because they're just a level ahead of you, and it just helps everyone. And the, the same could be the same for them. Say another team comes to you, and then you you beat on them, and they're just like, oh man, it can it works both ways. So I think that you can get great ideas from multiple testing groups. Mm
0: yeah I think uh, especially in modern day flesh and blood, like I-, I genuinely agree with with that advice as well. I think there was a there was maybe a time in the past when um, smaller testing groups and more hidden information could have been more beneficial, but with players be- being so good at the game at this point, you know, just having the diversity of ideas and putting your ideas through the most rigorous the most rigorous testing process, you know, cross-pollinating with other groups, is, most, is, is just it seems to be the best way to go. We see the best players in the world tend to follow that that
1: process at this point. Hayden, anything that you want to highlight? It was so evident at Pro Tour, where yeah. everyone's like, oh, Lexi's the best deck, but we're not going to tell anyone. <laughs> and then Lexi just began to super popular, and Everyone's like, oh, wow, we all knew that. And then it's the same with Anathos Vambrace. All the testing groups had Anathos Vambrace, but every group was like, we can't show anyone our hidden technology. It was just really <laughs> funny.
2: Yeah. I I think the big thing, Brendan, just to Nick's point, like you said before you talked about philosophy versus deck list, and I think that's a big part of what Nick is highlighting, kind of the what you can gain from testing wide as opposed to narrow, is that, you know, at the end of the day, your deck list could get out there. Some people might find some of the cards that you're on, but honestly, especially with the deck like Ultim, the philosophy and the way you play and the style of play and, and the way you decide to play into matchups is so so important. And that's not that's not restricted just ultim that is something that is true across a lot of heroes in this game and will continue to be true across a lot of heroes and formats in this game a deck list is only a part of it it's not like other games you know i tested for big magic events before where it was you wanted to keep things secret because if lists got out there a lot of decks sometimes play themselves, you know, once you know kind of the philosophy of how to play the deck, pretty simple top line, you can you can get results. It's not the same in FAB, especially with a lot of these games that go longer, you know, where you have to have a, an earlier, mid and a late game plan um, and maybe you have to pivot. Maybe there's interesting sort of sideboarding, pre-boarding decisions. So I think learning as much as possible, gathering as much information as possible to have the most rounded sort of experience during testing so that you can have the best plans and the most well-rounded plans is, is super conducive to good results. The other thing I kind of just want to add as well is I think preparing early, like knowing what you're going to play early. Mm. That's been my biggest learning over the last two years. The events that I've done the best in, I've locked my hero early. I've tried to understand the meta. I've tried to understand what I think is just the, the best deck for the for the format or what I perceive to be the best deck to give me the best chance and just locking that hero and just learning it inside and out. And um, I mean, yeah, shout out to, to Nick for for being my uh, Ultim sensei on this one because I had not played a lot of Ultim before this. So. Mm. You mentioned that you felt
0: extremely prepared walking into every matchup. How did you all go about formulating those game plans to to, to get that, that level of preparation? Just talk a little bit about that process.
2: Uh, I can briefly sort of say what, what I did. I mean, we, we talked about this and it can probably give a bit more insight on kind of the discussions of the matchups, but I just tried to play a game into everything kind of the week before. Um, so I got... I got between Dan and Nick and some other friends here locally, got to play, like, basically against every single matchup, I think, apart from maybe, like, Arachne and, I think, Icelander. um, But played against basically everything else, maybe Dory as well. But, yeah, that that helped a lot for me, for instance. Mm.
1: Yeah. Icelanders... I mean, sorry. Old was really good for that because you all, as I said, you don't need a win con against a lot of these rogue decks like Dorinthia. They need to beat you. So, like... If you just play nice and you just play your cards efficiently, you're just super favored against them either way. So it it doesn't take that many games to figure out like the nuances to the, this, those other niche matchups. Then there's matchups like Kano where you just sign the slip and just walk off. But like <laughs> say we dodged that. Yeah.
0: What is your philosophy behind of Solace, Nick?
1: Uh, it's so go for it, Nick. Go for it. Come it's, on. I said this, I said this to Hayden I and he thought it was good. But it's kind of it's it's kind of reminds me of something like ultra marathon. Um, so in ultra marathon, where you're going 200 miles, 300 miles, a disgusting amount of uh, miles in a race, women in an ultramarathon will slowly over time catch up to men in the in in these races over hundreds of miles, and then eventually overtake them. Just a genetic factor. I don't know exactly how how it works, but slowly, in over time, they'll they'll gradually catch up over hundreds of miles. So with Sigil of Solace, when someone this is like math where you can't really calculate it because you gaining three life is not the same as someone else gaining three life because because you will never run out of deck and they will always run out of threats because you will always be able to pitch heart or Earth React uh, Rampart Crown of Seeds. You gaining three life is more annoying than them attacking you with a Scar for a Scar because they're going to run out of cards. You're going to keep pitching forever. You will never run out of cards. And then you will attack for four with the weapon. So say Briar comes in with the uh, Rights of Replenishment for six, because you're always blocking for five, they need to have four times more life than you to actually beat you. And that's just that's just never gonna happen with that where that's the case, because they if you're on 10 and they're on 40, this was not the this was, that that's the only way that, that combo even beats you. So if you're gaining three life, the longer the game goes, the more your life is gonna matter incrementally because they're gonna run out of cards in their deck. And so Sigil of Souls just really helps with that game plan. It also just says when you go first, gain three life. Thanks for coming. See you later. Mm-hmm. Easy turn one.
0: How does this? How does this sort of deck building philosophy extend to other cards, or at least the your the way you differentiate yourself um, on how you view cards when it comes to things like Terrace under Rousey Ancients and Disable Red? Do you think that you think about these cards differently than other people do?
1: Probably not anymore. Everyone knows that Rousey Ancients is just a stupid card where, like, it actually just goes against LSS's philosophy of. Yeah, you run out of blues in your deck. You run out of reds in your yeah. deck and then you're weaker when you have blues. And it's like, no, my four card hand does 13 damage and I still get to arsenal a card with Rousey Ancients. It's just ridiculous. But uh, I mean, I think re- Disable is just another one where it's, it, yeah, it's three for nine instead of like the 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 math of like Wounded Bulls are two for eight. Hey, why would I play a three for nine? That's stupid. That's not good math. You know, that's, it, you get to attack them. They block with multiple cards. They're going to run out of cards in their deck because they have to get rid of cards out of you. It's it's not as it's not like a real numbers game. It's a numbers game in terms of my deck size versus their deck size. It's I don't know. I I can't. I'm not good at explaining it, stuff. Yeah. Other people understand.
0: It's a bit full I circle, a, right? Like I mean, we talk about this, you know, on somewhat on hit focused. Philosophy And just, you know, looking at cards like disable and thinking about your punish strategy and forcing them to inter- interact with you and thinking that that's a good concept where I think for a bit in fab, we sort of came into this new age of thought where it's like, it's literally just the number, right? It's if, if I do, if I have one more quantitative value in my card than you do, it doesn't matter what the text is, that is just better. And it seems like we're coming back around to now actually considering the nuance of some of these cards and how they affect the matchup, how your opponent has to respond to them in the specific situation that you present. Hayden, you were saying
2: something. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, it reminds me a lot of playing sort of Welcome to Wraith Fab a little bit. You know, you're trading cards of value. Uh, Disable, for instance, can buy three cards, right, for your one card, and that can matter. You can get that value back. You know, it's not like Nick was saying, you know, it's not a two for eight. It's not a a three for 13 in terms of these cards. It's a three for nine. But it is a card that, if you're playing these cards because they must be blocked. So the on-hit effect, it's hard to quantify what the value of that effect is in any given turn cycle of the game but at some point because of something what nick was saying basically the length of these games often with a deck like ultim you're going to get that value back you're going to find it elsewhere it's going to force your opponent to either you know lose reds and deck uh you see this against something like lexi you know it's like they have two less red arrows in the deck for instance which is important that will buy you a turn later in the game where they now have to be more conservative on their deck size because or their threat density because they're going to run out of threat so maybe that means they have to take a turn off to to Remembrance or to, you know, use the Quiver or whatever it is, or, you know, be able to present less damage. And then that gives you another window to present another on-hit effect, another bit of damage. So it's all kind of cyclical and it's quite interesting. And I think there's a lot of decks like this in Flesh and Blood in certain ways. And I think we're going to see more of them because of the power level of the current sets we're seeing. So, you know, this kind of dip we have seen from Monarch and Tales of Aria to Dynasty, Outsiders, even Uprising to an extent, you know, I think fire has some of this built into it with the idea of the phoenix flame for instance Mm -hmm. i think icelander has a bit of this with the value you get on frostbites for instance with the the blue cards in your deck so i think there's there's heroes other than ultim that already have this and we're going to see more of it i think even you know the um the assassins particularly azuri has this to a degree as well with with the weapons so Mm -hmm. um you know and codexes etc so it's i think it's quite interesting philosophy i think we're going to see a lot of it as we move through flesh and blood
0: well, I mean, that begs the follow up question: is how with with the way that you you all have approached and th- and thought about Old Him, how would you extrapolate this this to other heroes in the future as we see Old Him rotate out? You know, Nick specifically, I know you've you sort of had you've been known for some things in deck building, right? Like previously, flock of the featherwalkers and Dorinthia. Like, how are you going to take your approach to deck building? How do you plan to extrapolate it to fe- the future heroes of Flesh and Blood with the addition of Dust Till Dawn and the rotation of Old Him?
1: It's all contextual of what that hero's strengths are. Oldham's strength is I will never run out of cards in deck. And you mm-hmm. will. So there's a there's a deck threatening aspect to that hero. You can't just take that to a hero that's that doesn't have a weapon or something and say, Oh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna apply the same principle when it doesn't really work that way. I think decks like Dory are really strong at actually threatening and and assassin are really strong at the autumn threatening your deck. Um type of aspect of the game so that's that that's a way olden players can maybe move on but i just play what's what's good to be honest so mm-hmm. uh, i'll just figure out something else what it's all about the strength of that the strength of that hero right mm-hmm. um every every hero has a strength i think the issue with first of all, is some of the wiki heroes their strengths are the same as another hero's strengths but that hero's strengths are like up here and they're like down here, so there's literally no reason to ever play this hero. Yeah, and so like, like bravo that's, that's, for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? You, what is there any heroes like uh, that you specifically have your eye on right now as Oldham leaves and Dustal Dawn comes back in? Now, you know, we've seen the spoiler for the new prison, we've seen the spoiler for the new Shadow Room Blade, but is there anything you have your eye on? Like, uh, what is getting you excited?
1: Definitely not those two heroes. I know, right? Um, <laughs> because there's not that many spoilers. Out yet? I, I can't. I, I can't really answer that. And there's no band list, so you're literally going in blind. So maybe, maybe I'll watch um, someone's tier list of Oldham <laughs> rotating out, and <laughs> maybe get an idea from that. Even though there's no information about what the format's going to be. Yeah,
2: I, I would say from a philosophy standpoint, I know Nick has expressed to me that he thinks that you know Assassin is interesting at least.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I love Azuri. She's so much fun, and the whole the fact that Codex. Into leave no witnesses off one card is like probably the most powerful thing off one card hand. Mm. So good.
0: All right, I'm gonna ask a maybe a, a hard question and maybe a bad question as well. But it's, it's honestly, I want to know the answer. Is how would you how would you define what, what is it, what does value mean in flesh and blood? How do you define that? i I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is that because it's a bad it's question your, or it's, it's a hard blue. question?
1: <laughs> Pitch a blue, attack with Findle's Fighting Spirit, gain one life, attack for seven. Mm-hmm. That's math. That's that goat milk right there.
0: Yeah, because I think we saw, like we, we were talking about earlier, we saw a paradigm shift away from things like on-hit triggers or synergistic cards to just raw uh, sort of expressed attack value. It's just it, I'm wondering if that is actually the future of Flesh and Blood or if we take into these more nuanced approaches to some cards like adding in things like Red Disable or maybe Fundamentals in the sense of having these these blues that break sort of the 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 core tenets of the game, right? Something like Rousey Agents, or something like Terra Sunder. Like the cards are just very very powerful, but also the the sort of du- dual utilization as being optimal pitch cards as well.
2: I feel like I, I look, I can give you an answer that I think uh, levels your question, Brendan. Okay. And this is something I thought a lot about recently. I've actually talked to Nick about this as well. Is that it's it so depends. Like there's so many different aspects to that. I guess of answers to that question. So one is there is Nick. So Nick talked about strengths of a hero, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a big part that plays into it. Like value and some heroes is, is a real strength, right? Some heroes have way better on rate blues than others. You know, we saw Iceland with us and that also lends itself to be able to play a more value-based game because you get value and people talk about, you know, Wounded Bull, finals fighting spirit, e strike scar, whatever, you know, the, the rate of uh, an eighth ice vein fuse, for instance. Mm-hmm. What they don't talk about is like the value of a frostbite. You know, what people seem to forget often is Storm Striders is broken. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there's other aspects to it as well. And other heroes, Lexi, for instance, is a lot more synergistic than anything we've seen in the past sort of two formats, really. Like it is really based around your best turns for pushing damage, involve cards like Rain Raisers, Three of a Kind, Codex turns, like Art of War, even if people play playing that card. Like there are, there are different strengths for different heroes, and um, I think that question is—I—I I, I get the question. Like, it seems like a pretty straightforward question. Like, what is value? But in uh, my my view, and I guess, you know Nick just said, not sure he can answer it. In my view, the value is so. Context dependent on the hero and also the
1: mm-hmm. the meta that we sit in as well.
0: I feel like we don't know how to define it, but we know it when we see it. And it's like the worst, <laughs> the worst way, to, the worst way to talk about something on a podcast. But
1: there's yeah. a lot, of, there's a lot of like wasted some, some small value, right? Mm-hmm. Like even Lexi, Lexi has the best ye- Like yellows are terrible, but Lexi has the most insane yellows, and she can function off yellows. So she can make a second cycle out of yellow cards and just kill you, or. Just play them straight out. Or it has like, you know, everyone has everyone says the art of war, three of a kind, rain raise a turn. Hit the feature on the on the pokies. Like that's that's mm-hmm. what the Aussies call it anyway. <laughs> it's just that's that's value where you get to play insane yellows and function with those yellows because a lot of decks don't have good blues. That's why Iceland and Oldham were so good for so long, is that their blues are crazy and through all they're, they're hyper consistent. That's why people chose yeah. to play them.
0: Well, that, that was actually my next question: is how like how do you value consistency in something like Flesh and Blood? Like, is it very important to you? Do you seek out consistent decks? Do you think that they're objectively mm-hmm. better than inconsistent decks, etc.?
1: Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, it's just what, defi- the what the defines it, what,
0: what defines a consistent deck in Flesh and Blood.
1: Uh, lots of block threes, lots of cards that synergize with each other and strong blues. So like if your blues that's what I love about blues. Your blues should synergize with other blues to have so when you draw all blues, you can still do something. Whereas like Icelander can do that. Icelander can pitch a blue play in City Shield attack for two arsenal pass or they can play in the opponent's turn, get value off, off a channel like Frigid or something. Oldham can attack for eight. It's not great, but what it's better than any other deck can do with blues, or it can tear us under you. It's super consistent in that way. Whereas, like a lot of other decks, you play like an aggro deck and you draw That's all it. blues. You're just like, ugh. ugh, it's like a really bad taste. It's awful. Like five, five, four blues. Ugh, Unpl- like you just lose.
0: Mm. I wonder if that is like a core ideology that we can extend moving forward to look for future broken cards and synergies is just look for cards that are maybe primarily or secondarily resource cards but then also have a strong effect when used as sort of a an attacking card right just look for cards that sort of break the paradigm of having a single utilization is that the backbone of what makes some decks pop more much more powerful than others
1: i think so i I actually suggested Suspend Rouse the Ancients, but this was before Autumn was Living Legend, just mm-hmm. until other decks got better blues, because all these rogue decks, just they're like Rhyna blues. Oh, forget about <laughs> it. blues, shit. Katsu blues, I mean, they're okay. They pitch their zero, and they discard, and they flick flack, and this and that, but like, ugh, I hate them. Yeah. And like think- you go through a deck, and it's like, if you go to build a new deck, and it's like, okay, here are my, yep, let's put all the blues I want. You go through the deck when you finish making the blues, like, oh, there's like seven blues in here or six blues. <laughs> it's like, mm, that's not great.
0: Cheerios, Briar, right? <clears throat> no blues, right? No, no pitching cards. So it just, it, it doesn't have, it doesn't have supporting resource cards. Every card is a gas card. And if you're turning your, no. if you're playing something like Oldham and your blue cards are also those gas cards like Rousey Ancients where you're having these, you know, critically high levels of, of attack when you're able to draw back into them are things like Terra Sunder with dominate not hit effects like other decks and other uh, and other heroes just don't do that right and that's just a very powerful thing to be doing um anyway let's let's talk about let's talk about the event specifically because we've been doing a lot mm-hmm. of theory. so day uh you went into day two five two um so a solid record but Pretty you know that's kind of tough to, to start to start day two for sure what did, what were your two losses first of all and and talk to me about how how they happened and, and why was there anything you could have done better or you know just expand upon that
1: uh yeah, I lost to azalea round two okay uh he I said to myself, this guy looks like a death this guy doesn't look like a dread borer, he just doesn't he looks <laughs> like a typical death dealer, draw my cards. Have a great time, kind of gamer, and I said mm, I'm going to play Anathos anyway, just because I don't know. And then he just flipped Death Dealer, I had like the most greedy, like, loser <laughs> old deck ever. Like, uh, anyway, I just got destroyed, <laughs> unlucky. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, yeah, the other match, yeah. how was your uh, match? Yeah, I, lo- I lost. To, I lost to a great old player. What can you say? My only olden <laughs> loss ever. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just also just. I, I don't know. I just did not play well. My, my pummels were stuck with, with blue staunch. And then I would just forget that I pitched pummel. And then I would just pitch the blue staunch and this happened like three times. And I would just roll the, I'm like, Oh my God,
0: what the mm-hmm. fuck. And then how did you approach day two going in with the X2 record? What was your mentality? Did your game plan switch at all? Or did you just kind of hunker down and,
1: and play tight? Uh, I, I have to shout out my friend, Ash. He has always has a saying where, you know, just take play, you know, who cares? Just, just play and enjoy it it doesn't matter the result whatever you just play the game it is what it is you go to the ne- if you lose you go to the next event just play the game all good and yeah i just took that mentality because I after day one i was like oh, five to have to win four in a row or five in a row like that's not gonna happen i'm just playing kind of loose and then game day two i play some bravo guy I, I don't remember his name sorry and it was pretty simple in bravo's pretty easy matchup and then like after that, I was just in the mental zone of just, just playing the game. I wasn't even thinking about losing. I, I just played really well. I was remembering my pitch stack and I was pitching well, You know, using all my cards efficiently. And then, yeah, I just won all my games and... So I has then to get into the last round, all of a sudden i am locked into the top cut, and it's like, "Oh, cool, mm-hmm.
0: how important is memorizing the pitch stack when playing something like Old him and how detailed does your memorization need to be is it are you are you clustering like certain non impactful cards and then you know maybe sequencing an impactful card and then again clustering like you know like say five unimpact or are you literally remembering every
1: single card? Oh no, I don't remember every single card that's I'm not a mono magician, you know <laughs> I just think I always go with my I know what the last three cards I pitched are, so I'm going to pitch this. Or I know what the last card I pitched is, so I'm going to pitch like this. So, or if I see my opponent like in the finals, my opponent pitched Rain, Raises, Art of War, Lightning Surge, Winter's Wait. Like, well, that's 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 a, that's a bad like couple of that's a bad hand. Like, even if you draw them separated, you're going to get it on hit you on these on this turn. And then yeah, that's what happened. And then, mm-hmm. but if you see that they're pitched a certain way, because you're going to draw your pitch stack faster than them. Um, you can just pitch like a, an on hit with their against their like strong pitch stack turn, or mostly I like to just say okay, well in a proactive matchup, okay I pitch Rousey so and I'm going to prioritize putting an eight power to the bottom, or like putting it with eight powers and then not not putting a defense react with it. Sometimes you have no choice, but sometimes it just be that way. Mm-hmm. But that's usually what I go for. And then when I remember Mine. like a four or five cards, and then I'll refresh and then I'll start a new stack in my head. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much how I go.
0: What was the matchup you least wanted to face on the weekend? Kano. Okay. Now, let's say outside of the outlier, outside of Kano, were there any other, any mm. other potential bad matchups?
1: Control dash. Okay. Yeah. Like that's the tree, a, like that's the tree a fog? Bomber. That's a suicide bomber deck. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah I know. It's just, it just auto loses to some other things in the field. But you're talking about the tree fog version, right? It's, I think it's colloquially named over here.
1: Yeah, it's a terrible name, but... <laughs> <laughs> I agree.
0: <laughs> well, we're pushing, we're pushing that agenda here. Um, what was your hardest match of the weekend?
1: Uh probably again uh, against one of the blue pitch guys, his name's pudding. They're they're all so good. It's crazy how good those guys are. It literally came down to time was getting called. he's on eight. I just have a pummel in my arsenal and time's getting caught, and like I go attack, and because we're playing fast, he just says no blocks, and I just pummel him to cheese it. Like, that's literally how it went. This was like the round before the bubble onto date on to top eight. So like, it was just fortunate that like we're just playing fast and he just says no blocks because he wants to get his turn in to try and kill me. And I just get yeah, pummel from Arsenal to, to mm-hmm. be that way. He, he's on eight exact. So unfortunate. So but he was a good sport.
0: What's uh, I think, a, I think I kind of the answer, but, but what's next for, for Mr. Nick butcher after, after the calling Singapore win, just more fab. Or are we finally, the, the, the opening Love fab it. school? Like what, what the hell dude? It's been like two years. <laughs>
1: whatever like <laughs> if people don't if, if people don't get it if people don't you know get it people don't want to i don't care anyway moving on uh just lots of monarch drafting getting ready for nationals lots of lots of new cards coming out which is going to be fun mm-hmm. so yeah yeah just, there's not much coming on before nationals anywhere in the world really so well you have world That's championships
0: to look forward to and those will be in that
1: we don't know Huh. That would be somewhere at some time somewhere before some December time. 15th. Hayden, anything you
0: want to mention uh, in addition from the weekend?
1: Uh,
2: no, I mean, it was a great weekend. It was awesome to hang out with, with cool people. So, I mean, the Singaporean local community is amazing. So I know Nick experienced it as well. People there are so cool and uh, great to spend time with friends and, and, and play fab. I mean, I'm trying to convince Nick to, to come to Taipei <laughs> after, after Nationals. That's the next goal. It's a cool expensive.
0: spot. Yeah, I mean, just wait till we start going to Japan. That'll be that'll be something else. I I genuinely can't wait for it. I'm, I'm very jealous that you all live in that part of the world. We able to go to the the tournaments in Asia. Um,
1: you, you live in America. You get an event every second. You do. One. You do
0: get. You do get a lot of events Great. over here. I think that your your locations are a lot cooler though. Um, That's true. Yeah, it, it it is just true to be honest. <laughs> definitely. Um, Singapore
1: versus Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely.
0: <laughs> Nick, uh, Nick, where can people where can people find you? What are your What are your socials?
1: They can't. They yeah. can't find me. I'm I'm nowhere. Show me you have Twitter? So. Do you not really have Twitter? Do you?
0: No, you posted that. Li- no,
2: you put it on Twitter. You post that. He list does have Twitter. Twitter. His his handle's down below him, so he can't escape. Yeah, you
0: can't escape. Uh. <laughs> the humility is just too much. Awesome, Nick. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. It's always great to get behind. You know, get get inside. mind of a master especially when it comes to something like old him and i think that you you definitely gave us some sort of wisdom that we can take forth into future sets as old him rotates out as dustled dawn comes in and apply that to future deck building to find find sort of the next the next best deck and obviously yourself hayden matt you know just that group of players has just been killing tournaments so definitely definitely doing something right i know a lot of other a lot of other very good players showed up to that tournament didn't have quite the same the same result um we, we're it. no Michael Hamilton, but we do all right. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Um, but again, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations once again on, on becoming the the calling champion here at Singapore last weekend. And um, yeah, just going to do a little housekeeping here, which is if you're listening to this on audio platforms, there's a video v- version on YouTube at youtube.com slash arsenal pass. Um, we all are, we are all on Twitter. I'm at Brendan APG. Hayden is at Fian underscore Dale. And as I flip over to OBS, Nick is at Nick Butcher fab. So go go follow him um and yeah if you, if you listen to this podcast you listen to it every week you like it you have been following us for a couple of years and you haven't left or left us a review definitely do that that's the number one thing you can do to help us out apple podcast is preferred but everything helps and finally check out the arsenal pass patreon for deck text deck guides and you know there's going to be a lot of content in uh, in pre- in lieu in preparation as we lead up the worlds whenever the hell <laughs> that is but thank you all so much for listening we'll see you next week